Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Good day, good friends, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod, where we look back on the big news of the week with three top political reporters. <laughs> and what a week we have just come through. Yes, Donald Trump wanted to come back to Washington in the worst possible way. Uh, and yesterday, he did. Came back to Washington, not to the White House, but to the federal courthouse. Not as the commander-in-chief, but as the defendant-in-chief. Arraigned on charges related to his alleged role in the January 6th insurrection. In other news, House Republicans continue trying to make Hunter Biden, not Donald Trump, the nation's number one criminal. On Star Wars, the Space Command, which was taken away from Colorado by Donald Trump, was given back to Colorado by Joe Biden. Sorry, Alabama. And apparently trying to out-Trump Trump, Ron DeSantis pledged that if elected president, he would start slitting throats on day one. <laughs> and here today to help us make some sense of it all, Philip Bump, national columnist for the Washington Post, author of the book about the boomers, The Aftermath, and editor of the newsletter, How to Read This Chart. Philip, welcome back. Hello, sir. Happy to be here. Emily Gooden, U.S. political reporter and White House correspondent for the Daily Mail. Hello, Emily. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. And Sudeep Reddy, our senior managing editor for Politico. Welcome back, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Good to be here. Thank you. So, uh, to use the overused phrase yesterday, America's never seen anything like this. Uh, indeed, Washington, the circus came to town. Jack Smith finally dropping the other shoe. Donald Trump showing up to get arraigned in the federal court, uh, pleading not guilty, and then uh, heading out to uh, a National Airport to hop on his plane to go home to Bedminster, but without but first, wouldn't leave without taking a slam at D.C. and at the whole trial. Here he is from the airport. This is a very sad day for America. And it was also very sad driving through Washington, D.C. and seeing the filth and the decay and all of the broken buildings and walls and the graffiti. This is not the place that I left. It's a very sad thing to see it. Uh, when you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. Whoa. All right. So deep. <laughs> and Emily and Philip, uh, you know, let's just start out by kind of take, taking a step back and seeing what happened yesterday, his comments. Um, I'd like to see hear from each of you. Who do you think this helps and who does this hurt? So deep. Uh, you can start by defending the city you and I live in, for one thing. <laughs> uh, what I can tell you is that the path that Donald Trump took, uh, which we can see because it was covered live as if it were the OJ escape, um, every shot 
uh, of where he was driving. There is not graffiti that you would see everywhere. There are not dilapidated buildings. We've been down these roads many times. Um, but obviously, this is part of the, the Donald Trump pitch to a very core part of his base about what's happening in uh, urban areas. And it's, 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 it's not even code anymore. It's, it's what he needed to say there. But the larger, uh, we, we hear, heard Donald Trump just so briefly yesterday on the airport tarmac after yet another scene that he seems to have thought through very carefully of what it would look like. He had the Trump plane, he had the Trump umbrella, he had the, the message uh, and political persecution is really the one uh, play he can make here to, to perhaps get through the primary without really losing a whole lot of, uh, of his own uh, voters and have the Republican base say, these are the Democrats trying to take me down. That will probably work uh, in the Republican primary. The big question is how it works for the rest of the next 15 months uh, in a general election. And uh, there are a lot of cross currents on that question. So, Emily, um, what's your take? Who does it help? Who does it hurt? It sounds like Sudeep is saying it might actually help Donald Trump. Well, I actually agree with Sudeep. I think it helps Donald Trump a lot. Um, He's been able to raise a lot of money off these appearances. And I noticed he sent out three or four emails uh, around his court appearance yesterday, both before and after. I'm headed into court. I'm out of court. Please contribute. And we've seen from reports that he has gone through most of the money he's raised because he's had all these legal fees. So he also needs the money. Um, Will it also hurt him? It's unclear. I've been talking to some legal experts about this because I've been kind of curious. And a lot of them think this one could hurt him the most because it's about the battle for democracy. But I think we still need some time to tell and and how this trial will play out, which I expect it will play out either at the end of the year or the beginning of next year. It's not going to drag out. They're going to get this done. Well, Philip, I uh, love your take as well. But um, you know, the Trump people, of course, are saying it's not a battle for democracy. It's a battle for free speech. Yes. Well, they got to say something, right? I mean, and, no, I mean, I mean, they both they have to say something because they obviously need to have a defense in court, which I don't think is going to be that. Uh, but they have to say something, too, because for Donald Trump, the existential issue here is winning the presidency. You know, he, he continues to see that. And there's new reporting from Maggie Haberman at the time saying that internally they see his election in November of next year as being the way that he's going to avoid all of this. And, you know, in part, that's understandable because. You know, the, the evidence in the Mar-a-Lago case is extremely strong. The evidence in this case is both extremely strong and everyone has seen it uh, you know, pretty much unfolding in real time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, the, the First Amendment speech, there, there's this fascinating uh, complexity to it, which I think a lot of people are overlooking. It's not the case that the court has to prove that he thought that fraud actually happened. They just have to prove that he said things he knew were false in service of trying to overturn this. There's a Julian Sanchez is a great writer had this great example of if you think your property or something was taken from you illegally and then you went and lied about it to try and get it back, it's it doesn't matter. Even if it was taken from you illegally, you still can't lie about it and get it back, right? You still can't <laughs> you still can't do that additional crime. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but again, the pitch he's making isn't to a jury. He's making it to his pool of voters who he wants to make sure remain engaged and keep giving money. So let's talk about the practical aspects of this. I mean, Sudeep, doesn't this mean, for one thing, uh, that the entire 2024 Republican primary is going to be about 
2020, not 2024. It certainly will be uh, in 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 what the media does in, in this point and how we try to cover uh, what's happening because it, it is uh, it is not just extraordinary. It is uh, obviously a fascinating, interesting story of why this very large group of candidates just won't even go there. Uh, a few of them are. A, a few of them are willing to to send uh, messages. Mike Pence in the Mike Pence kind of way is is doing a little bit of it, but nobody's really using it to to take down uh, Donald Trump. What what this really gets into is the. The posture of Joe Biden in all of this is fascinating. You try to be hands off. I'm at the beach. No, I'm not talking about this. Uh, you go, go, go do your thing. This isn't my thing. Um, that's the posture that he's going to have to take uh, at least now through the, through a trial. Uh, but then, then what happens after that? Do, do they put out ads? Let's just replaying Trump's words against what happened at the Capitol um, there's there's still a lot of ground to be tread here because every move that Trump makes is another move that the Biden team and Biden super PACs and uh, other groups on the left will be able to make as well. And so you're you're right. This will be the entire story of 2024. Well, Emily, you were there this week uh, on uh, pool duty in Rehoboth uh, with the president on vacation. Uh, what was White House saying? I mean, were they just sort of wink, wink? We're not paying attention. Uh, they certainly weren't talking about it, right? Did you try to get the president to talk about it? Well, the president was asked if he was going to pay attention to President Trump's trial or arraignment, and he said no, flat out, simple, <laughs> no. Uh, and I think that's what we're going to see from this White House, just no, no, no. They're going to be focused on what they're doing. They're going to be talking about infrastructure and and the internet and all their accomplishments with the Inflation Reduction Act. And they're going to be focused on themselves and their accomplishments. Now, maybe some of the president's allies or super PACs will start doing some Trump attack ads and we might see some of that. But I think from the president himself and from the White House, they're going to be focused on them and essentially try to pretend like Donald Trump does not exist. Yeah. Uh, Philip, again, I want to come back to some of the the, just the practical side of this. I mean, in terms of a campaign, in terms of the debates, in terms of uh, campaign rallies and campaign appearances, in terms of the convention, I mean, the front runner is going to be in the courtroom <laughs> part of the time. I mean, this really is going to change this impact, this 2024 primary, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. But also, let's just remember that Donald Trump has never been sort of a glad-handing politician, right? I was with him at the Iowa State Fair in 2015, and he sort of cruised through there and had these mobs of people around him because he was still just, you know, the celebrity who was like, can this guy actually do it, you know? But but that he, he does very little of that. He's not like going and staking out these, you know, how many times has he been in Iowa to do anything besides give a speech? That's what he does now, right? And mm -hmm. so I think that he's advantaged to some extent because that's not the nature of the politics that he, that he uh, undertakes, nor does he need to. He doesn't need to do that sort of thing to get the meme ID, right? And so I can see very easily, you know, he goes down to Florida for a hearing in Miami and then he stops and has, you know, does a <laughs> conference at the villages. Right. He does something in D.C. and then he, you know, he bops over to wherever it happens to be, Virginia or North Carolina. I mean, there's lots of ways to sort of incorporate this. And then, of course, every single time he does one of these hearings or has to go in for court, then he plays it off like, oh, you know, here we go again. The deep state, yada, yada, yada. Does yeah. a fundraising pitch, doesn't engage, you know, tries to engage people that way. And so, yes, I think for a normal candidate. 
this would be problematic. I think for Donald Trump, it's probably not going to affect his campaign style much at all. Right. Uh, Sadiq, I saw yesterday, somebody else did the math, I didn't, that Donald Trump now faces, so far, 78 uh, different charges, indicted on 78 charges. And if he were to get the maximum, found guilty on each one, and get the maximum sentence on each one, he would face 641 years in prison. Does, at some point, does all, and this, you know, we haven't heard from Georgia yet, right, or New York State. At some point, does this all come crashing down uh, on Donald Trump before uh, November 24? Uh, it, it is crashing down probably in his mind right now of what are the implications of this. Uh, of course, as as, uh, as we've already said here, the, the point is to get elected to be able to undo all of that. But that's yeah. that's a, a lot to weigh on uh, on on the former president's mind during this coming uh, coming season. And it's probably the one driving force of what's going to get him uh, to to be energized about why this needs to why he needs to 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 win to get out of this and to make it appear like a political persecution there's a world in which obviously after the election if he loses he could plead out he could do things to get home confinement whatever to avoid jail time but these are very very serious charges and i think there's a just an important distinction with what uh what federal prosecutors have done here in the calendar in putting this case with uh, the the one person, uh, the, the former president himself, at the top of the case, and then pushing down the documents case, they've added co-conspirators in the document case. They've they've uh, there there are all sorts of other things that are going to push that back. A documents case. Uh, did, why do you have all these boxes in your bathroom? That's interesting, but it's not the thing that will actually capture people's attention. Um, the, the a riot uh, in Washington D.C. and an attempted coup is what will capture uh, people's attention, at least among the uh, the independent and general election voters. Well, you know, um, former Vice President Mike Pence seems to have sensed that also uh, that this could be the turning point or the fork in the road. Somebody called it this morning, uh, and the Vice President speaking out um, stronger yesterday than he has before, and really, I think. Uh, nailing exactly what Donald Trump is charged with. Here's uh, Mike Pence. The president uh, specifically asked me and his gaggle of, uh, of crackpot lawyers asked me to literally reject votes, to, which would have resulted in, uh, in the issue being turned over to the House of Representatives and literally chaos would have ensued. But the American people deserve to know uh, that President Trump uh, and his advisors uh, didn't just ask me to pause. They asked me to reject votes, return votes, essentially to overturn the election. Whoa, Emily, Mike Pence is saying that Donald Trump tried to overturn the election. Is the Republican Party really going to nominate, do you believe, will nominate a man who tried to overthrow the government? Well, according to the polls, yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and and not just by a small margin. Let's remember Donald Trump's leading by double digits right now. And, you know, Ron DeSantis is close to him and he's between 20 and 30 points back. So um, Mike Pence, I think, is in a really tough spot because he's obviously lost the Trump wing of the party at this point. Um, 
And so now he's trying to make a move for the other part of the party that disagrees with Donald Trump. But I don't think there's enough of them that votes in a primary to select a nominee. I mean, to be determined, but that's a very tough road for Mike Pence ahead. Yeah. Do you see it the same way, Philip, that this is kind of a done deal now? Trump's the nominee? I mean, look, I, you know, I've, I've used this line before, but I, I try to stop making predictions about what was going to happen on November 8th, 2016. <laughs> yeah. yet. Um, I, I don't see how, you know, before DeSantis got in in May, I said, this is it. Like, he's got to surge here or the people who don't want Trump are going to be like, oh, my God, we got to find someone else. Right. And right now it looks like they're scrambling to find someone else. They're trying, you know, Glenn Young and hey, Glenn, you know, you know, I mean, they're just like, just like <laughs> panicking. It doesn't matter because Trump's over 50 percent. So even if you got someone in, you know, this Mitt Romney thing from a week or two ago and it's like, oh, we just got to consolidate as soon as possible. It's like too late, bro. Like this, you know, that ship has sailed. Uh, so do I think it's a done deal? Uh, off the record here on the podcast, yeah, <laughs> you know, formally, well, things can happen, and things certainly have happened in the past. But I'd be extremely surprised if, you know, by this time next year, it weren't uh, Donald Trump at the head of the Republican ticket. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, there is other news, but before we just move on, Sudeep, one final question: Do you believe that any of this would be happening if it were not for the January sixth committee? You know, that's that's hard to say. Um, because we don't know everything that's happened, been happening inside the DOJ, and it's possible that that some of this would have moved forward. But politically, it's hard to see see this working out uh, the way the DOJ would have wanted if not for the January sixth committee. Because what the committee did was put the spotlight um, on on more of the facts of the case, put the put the the facts on the record for it to be used in public in a new way. And it doesn't rely on uh, on what the GOP uh, moderates might look at the, as the deep state, people who are acting in the shadows behind the scenes uh, in mm-hmm. DOJ. This is, this is what was really done by Congress in public with Liz Cheney out there out front. Um, that does make a difference and that will absolutely make a difference throughout 2024 when we see uh, see this uh, playing out on trial. Yeah, it does seem to be a vindication for the work of the January 6th committee, I guess, to my editorial Certainly. comments. Certainly, absolutely, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, as several people said, Mary Garland like waited a year, right? It <laughs> uh, didn't act until after the January 6th committee had issued its report. All right, now, I don't know why we're talking about that Donald Trump so much, because why aren't we talking about the Biden crime family. That's what House Republicans want to talk about. Uh, let's get into that after, uh, but they'll take first a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, and then we'll be back with today's panel, Sudeep Brady from Politico, Emily Gooden from uh, the Daily Mail, and Philip Bump from the Washington Post. And today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the Iron Workers Union. Uh, yes, good men and women of the Iron Workers under President Eric Dean. You know, their motto is the sky is the limit. And boy, they certainly have proven that if you look at uh, um, all, every one of the uh, iconic uh, structures here in this country, the Golden Gate Bridge, the Memorial Arch out in St. Louis, the new One World Trade Center all the work of the Iron Workers Union. They built the backbone of all of these great structures. And today they are in the lead uh, under the infrastructure bill, uh, rebuilding our broken down bridges and highways and tunnels and water treatment plants, all the Iron Workers Union. Check out their website, 
for a good look at all of the great projects they're involved in, ironworkers.org, ironworkers.org. And we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back. Uh, today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, joining us from Politico Senior Managing Editor Sadiq Reddy, from the Daily Mail, uh, U.S. National Political Reporter and White House Correspondent Emily Gooden, and from the Washington Post, and author of the book, The Aftermath, Philip Bump. And Philip, uh, so on Sean Hannity the other night, uh, the uh, uh, James Comer and Jim Jordan uh, were talking about all they found out in their big hearing on Hunter Biden uh, with Devin Archer, his former business partner. Here is what they claim Archer told them. Well, every day this bribery scandal becomes more credible. I mean, let's look at what Devin Archer testified today. He said that uh, that not only was Joe Biden on the phone over 20 times uh, talking about uh, whatever. The two key guys who run Burisma, they meet for drinks. During that meeting, they say, we need the U.S. government to intervene. They make a phone call to D.C. Mr. Archer, I don't know who they call, but they call D.C. And five days later, December 9th, 2015, Joe Biden is in Ukraine and he gives a speech starting the pressure on the prosecutor in Ukraine. There it is, Philip. Guilty as charged, right? What's, <laughs> what's the truth of the matter? I mean, you know, it's it's funny, but it's just it's so dishonest. It's just it's so utterly dishonest. Every single thing you just heard them say is dishonest. And not only is it dishonest. So so we got this Devin Archer testimony that was made public yesterday. And so we can talk about that. Now, look, I can talk about this for six hours. So, you know, cut me off when you need to. But <laughs> uh, uh, even when they just said that, everything that Jim Jordan just said, the, the trip that Joe Biden took had been announced uh, a month prior to this purported phone call. He doesn't know who they actually called. Devin Archer wasn't able to say that it was uh, Joe Biden, that it was not the start of the pressure on this prosecutor. That already existed. So all of that was obvious even before the Devin Archer 
Archer testimony comes out. But then the Devin Archer testimony comes out. And the right tries to spin like, aha, we got him, yada, yada, yada. And you heard, for example, James Comer just there. And I'm, God, that I can recognize these guys' voices drives me insane. Like, I should know uh, Americans should have to recognize Congress people's voices uh, on site. But, um, you know, so James Comer there is saying uh, that uh, there has been. Um, no, I'm totally. Oh, that that uh, that Devin Archer had been on the phone with Joe Biden, right? Right. The, the transcript also says that Devin Archer was asked and repeatedly said, "No, Joe Biden was never involved in our business," and it's just so dishonest. Like Kim Coomer wasn't even in the hearing. I'll point that out. So he may not even have been well informed at that point in time. But it's so dishonest for everyone on the right to be like, "Aha, he had him on the phone a few times," and to ignore. The Devin Archer also said under oath, yeah, but Joe Biden was never involved, and this was all a ruse that Hunter Biden was doing to chop himself up. But they don't talk about that. They talk about the phone call because all they're doing is trying to push out this misinformation and this propaganda. And it's just it's, – it, it culminated in the sheer dishonesty that handed the appearance, but it, but it trickles out in a lot of different ways as well. Yeah, and um, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden, Sudeep. This was an issue in 2020. This was an issue. They tried to make it issue in 2022. And now they see this is going to be their winning issue in 2024. I, I really, I really fear that by the time I get to, to 2040, we're still going to be talking about Hunter <laughs> Biden and his laptop and his emails uh, for whoever is president at the time. Uh, no, it's not working. This is this this um, this is not going to to change anything uh, in terms of how people actually think about uh, Joe Biden, how people think about. Um, the race. Uh, it is obviously useful for Donald Trump to energize his base. That's about all that's happening with it. It does add a layer of uh, everybody's corrupt uh, to a certain class of the electorate. Um, that is useful to uh, to Donald Trump to say, look, look what's what's happened here. Um, this is this is the disgrace. Joe Biden isn't isn't the the tender Uncle Joe. But those are that only works for the people who aren't really all that interested in getting into the facts of the case. If you look at an honest analysis, you're like, okay, well, this is uh, this is just a, a whole trouble pile of trouble for from Hunter Biden on down. But um, th this will definitely be what what Donald Trump is talking about uh, to not have to to think about six hundred years in prison, right. Uh, and they also use the argument that there are two different systems of justice, right? One for Democrats, like Joe Biden, uh, or like Hunter Biden, and one for Republicans, like uh, Donald Trump. But, so, Emily, again, in Rehoboth, uh, you're there with the White House, president's there, uh, and this is going on, this hearing is going on, uh, and their comments about Hunter Biden? No, absolutely not. And again, there's not going to be. Um, the White House has said the president and first lady love their son and support him, and they've left it at that. And they're certainly not hiding him. I covered the last state dinner for the prime minister of India, and when the press corps walked in to the tent where the dinner was taking place, the first person we literally saw was Hunter Biden. He was right there, right up front, talking to people. He's gone. He went to Ireland with the president. He was not on this vacation, but he's gone on other trips um, there just saying this is our son and we love him and they're leaving it at that. And so, and it's working as Sudi pointed out and others have pointed out, this is not sticking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, we remember uh, Billy Carter too, that was going to change the, uh, uh, the, the case for Jimmy Carter in uh, 1976 and didn't really work then uh, either. All right, Emily, I want to come back to you because the white house made a big decision this week. 
They're going to leave the Space Command in Colorado. Why? Well... <laughs> well, we're all chuckling here because we kind of know the real reason, which is they're still mad at Alabama Senator Tuberville for the hold he's put on on uh, military nominees. So I'm sure they're going to give a, a lot of reasons about why it stayed in Colorado. But the real reason is good old fashioned politics. And it's the president's decision. And he's mad at a Republican. So he made the decision he made. And uh, that is the reality of life sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it was kind of a case of political revenge. Philip, um, I thought it was rich for Tommy Tuberville to accuse Joe Biden of playing politics with this decision when the decision by Donald Trump to move it from Colorado to Alabama uh, on his way out of office was pure politics. Right. Yeah, no, no, exactly. I mean, look, you know, I mean, what, what are you going to say, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, to, to, to Tuberville's credit, at least, I have no idea how to say his name, I guess Tuberville. Um, uh, to his credit, at least, you know, this is what he should be doing as senator from the state of Alabama is trying to drag stuff to Alabama. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is, this is, this is a, a, a funny little political fight that has, you know, uh, tentacles that reach into a bunch of other things. But at the end of the day, you got, you got both sides doing what you probably would expect of them. Does this, uh, does this prove, uh, Sudeep, that um, Dark Brandon can uh, <laughs> act when he has to, right, politically? I, I mean, uh, it's not like Space Command is going into Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, or Pennsylvania here. So yeah. uh, that that would be uh, that would be a, a, a real move here. But yeah, look, this is this is, I think, one of those un, under the, the under the radar things that that uh, won't get that much attention in the wider world, but. Um, but uh, there are consequences here, and making yep. a decision in January of 2021 wasn't going to lead to anything um, that was lasting. Yeah. Plus, from what I've read, uh, the Pentagon and the leaders of the Space Command were happy in Colorado, and they wanted to stay in Colorado. So um, that's what the president. That's what the president did. Well, um, we talked a little bit about the impact of Donald Trump on the 2024 primary. But, of course, this was not going to be a problem because, as Philip, you indicated a little earlier, Ron DeSantis was going to change all of this once he jumped in and just prove to Republicans that there is an alternative. There's Trump without Trump, without the Trump baggage. Uh, House and uh, didn't go so well, so there's going to be the big DeSantis reset. Um, we saw a little sign, heard a little sign of that. Uh, this is the new DeSantis, the reset DeSantis in New Hampshire yesterday. Um, sounding an awful lot like Donald Trump. Here he is. We're going to have all these deep state people, you know, we're going to start slitting throats on day one. How's that reset going, Philip? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, hey, this is, uh, well, reset number nine, which I think is probably where <laughs> we are, maybe 10. Uh, it's, it is a good encapsulation, I think, of two things. The first is that Ron DeSantis operates from a position of anger, right? And, and we saw this in polling, the New York Times polling that came out earlier this week or last week, where a lot more people, including DeSantis supporters, viewed Trump as fun relative to Ron DeSantis. And, you know, these aren't the sorts of things we should be making presidential decisions on, but they're important that people feel like, okay, I like the vibe of Donald Trump. Ron DeSantis is a very angry person. He, he exudes anger in the things that he does. And then that comes through in comments like that one, which reveals the second aspect of him, which is he's just not a very good campaigner. 
You know, like mm-hmm. this is <laughs> it's sort of campaign 101 that you don't talk about murder uh, <laughs> campaign trail. Right. Like even jokingly. Uh, but he just he that that combination of the anger and I'm sure that anger is exacerbated by the fact that he's getting no headway and the fact that he's a bad retail campaigner that comes through. All of that aside, it's a gross thing to say, and it is it is a disrespectful thing to say at a minimum. And uh, I don't think it's going to hurt him necessarily, but in part that's because he's got you know he's already hurting so badly. Right, um, and um, we talked about this a little earlier, but Sudeep, uh, <laughs> again, this may be totally fanciful thinking, but with Mike Pence coming out stronger yesterday, accusing the president of trying to overthrow the government. Could this be a moment where Mike Pence finally gets some backbone and starts moving up uh, and, you know, a little stronger presence uh, in the primary? You know, (laughs) it's hard. It's hard to see Mike Pence breaking through in uh, in the rest of this field, just given given the dynamics right now. Mike Pence is uh, appears to be playing for history and he's actually doing an important uh, service here. He will probably be remembered most for them as the man who saved democracy. And he is, uh, is right to use, use the primary to make that point, um, that he deserves, uh, more of the credit. You know, it's, it's possible, um, that if something, uh, were to happen that prevents Donald Trump from going forward, um, that, that Mike Pence, could climb a little higher in the rankings and take a little, take a few more of those, uh, those Trump voters away. Uh, but he still wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be the obvious to, to climb up on the list. It's just a, a hard road to go when the dynamics are, uh, such as they are right now. Right. So Emily, um, I, wanna, I, I know this is totally off the wall, but I was curious that this week in Rehoboth on a vacation, the president and first lady actually went out to see a movie I can't remember the last time an American president has actually gone out to a movie theater to see a movie, and they went to see Oppenheimer. Um, did he talk about it? Uh, was there any reaction to the White House? Why Oppenheimer and not Barbie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he did call the movie compelling. Um, uh-huh. But other than that, no, he hasn't talked about it. But I do have to wonder, um, I was with him on the trip to Japan for the G7, which took place in Hiroshima. And there was a very moving moment where he and the other leaders, which included the prime minister of Japan, the chancellor of Germany, and the prime minister of Great Britain, together laid a wreath at the memorial for those who died in World War II Mm -hmm. during the bombing. Um, And it was just a very moving moment that these former enemies from World War II came together in remembrance. And Hiroshima is now dedicated to peace. It's a peace center. Um, So a part of me wonders if he was just feeling that still a little bit and that he wanted to go see this film, which is uh, winning a lot of awards or a lot lot of acclaim. Uh, And uh, a film which, uh, having seen it myself, I would uh, certainly echo what the president said. It is definitely a compelling movie three hours uh and it raises a lot of questions about nuclear power uh which we are not talking about anymore so i think it's a very important film to see uh, I, I will and, say though yeah, I, Philip, I will yeah. say i will say it would have been funny if he'd come out of there and been like well the third act was a little long and i'm not sure they need to you know just some real <laughs> film criticism would have been would have been a nice touch <laughs> <laughs> or it was too serious. I'd wish we'd gone to see Barbie. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Okay. Uh, a great big thanks to our panel for uh, trying to make some sense of everything that happened this week. Uh, Philip Bump, Emily Gooden, and Sudeep Reddy. Uh, and there must have been one story during the week, even though we're transfixed on the Trump indictment, uh, that caught your attention. We always call it our favorite story of the week. Um, how about it, Sudeep? What stopped you in your tracks? You know, there there were so many stories this week to to pay yeah. attention to. It was one there was one that uh, that really just caught my attention because it's a continuation of a theme. It was uh, the uh, the the AP Psychology course is effectively ending, uh, yes. effectively banned in Florida um, due to content on sexual orientation and gender identity. That's from the College Board saying that um, it's uh, it's the latest. Is it's. Uh, Florida was effectively blocking African American studies courses from the AP and all sorts of all sorts of others. And meanwhile, in Iowa, there's another school district that is trying to enforce Iowa law and uh, and putting uh, the book 1984 on its list. And this there's a long history going back decades of 1984 uh, being banned. Um, th- this time it's uh, because of of sex scenes. Uh, back in Florida, forty years ago or so, it was because of of communism themes. Um, but it, it just really shows that the the thought police are really out. And whenever nineteen eighty four ends up on a list of of banned books, uh, you know we're really in trouble uh, in that moment. But I look at this and I realize it's all cyclical, and hopefully uh, the cycle will pass and people will regain their senses. But there are now laws on the books that would need to be undone people to regain their senses. Oh, boy. And uh, uh, it's fun to think about what Orwell himself would have to say about all of that. <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, uh, Emily, um, there must have been, again, with you, one story that caught your attention. Well, as you mentioned, I was with the president in Rehoboth this past week, and you mentioned the movie. Um, that was actually part of the president and first lady's date night, which I and the rest of the press corps went on. So I thought I would let your listeners know what it's like to go on a date with the president. Um, It was just, you know, them, half a dozen aides, their secret service details, (laughs) nuclear football, and the 13-member press corps. Um, So we were joking the first lady should ask for a refund, a redo. Uh, (laughs) But they went to dinner, and we were not allowed inside with them for dinner because, you know, it's hard to get a table for 100 but they had a booth at the local fish shop where they enjoyed some seafood and then went to see Oppenheimer. They went to a public theater. They did go in the back entrance, but everyone who went into that theater to see the movie got wanded. Members of the public could buy a ticket. If mm. you happen to go to the 6.30 showing of Oppenheimer in Rehoboth, you had the president and first lady sitting right there. Um, they were munching their popcorn. We were seated about three, <laughs> we were seated about three rows ahead of them. And yes, we all bought our own tickets. So we were in there. Um, we kind of were just, well, not discreetly looking over our shoulders to see what his reaction was to the movie. Um, yeah. A little hard to see in the dark, but uh, they seem to be enjoying it. And then uh, they rounded out their evening with a romantic walk on the beach, which involved oh. four SUVs and eight <laughs> flashlights uh, guarding the perimeter in a circle as they walked between them. And uh, yeah. it's not often I feel sorry for the president of the United States, but kind of at that moment in the dark on the beach, I did feel a little bad for him. He was just trying to take the wife out and uh, it was uh, yeah. quite the production. Felt sorry for him and sorry for particularly for the first lady, right? Yes, particularly for Dr. Biden. Like we, like I said, we were joking. She should ask for a, a redo on that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, Philip, I imagine uh, 
uh, the date nights in your family are not so <laughs> not so complicated. <laughs> I mean, I have a six year old and a four year old, so they're also few oh. and far between. Uh, I do like I do like this idea that it's sort of fascinating from a historical perspective that Biden is sitting there watching Oppenheimer, this movie about the creation of the first atomic bomb, and sitting by him as a guy who has this device that allows him to actually launch nuclear oh, weapons. Boy, on command. Yeah. You know, that's sort of a sort of an interesting scene. Um, okay, so story of the week. The thing that I thought was interesting that didn't get a lot of coverage uh, was that there was a report from Puck News that uh, Donald Trump's attorneys had sought footage from Fox News in which Tucker Carlson interviewed the former head of the Capitol Police, Stephen Sund. Um, this is something that Carlson back in May, I believe it was, he claimed that he'd spoken to Sund and Sund had said that there are all these government provocateurs, agents in the crowd at the Capitol mm, riot, yeah. something that Sunday had not said anywhere else, including in a book that he was selling. And you figure if this was true, he'd put it in the book and sell a ton of copies of the book. Uh, so, you know, Carlson has no credibility, generally speaking. Trump, though, interestingly, reaches out, his lawyers reach out, try to get that footage because they think it'll help in a case that where they're being sued by Capitol Police officers. And Fox News actually turns him down, says, you know, just go depose Sund. We're not going to give you this. And it's this really interesting thing, in part just because there's this ongoing tension between Trump world and Fox News world, including this report from The Times, Jonathan Swan and Haberman uh, this week, where the after the indictment, he hosted the two of the, the top people at Fox at Bedminster to talk about whether he's going to participate in the debate or not. And it's just yeah. this, this element both of Donald Trump's immersion in this world of make-believe that the Tucker mm. Carlson is such a big part of, and also just the weird relationship and this jockeying for power between himself and the network yeah very interesting uh, i didn't realize that i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that out philip indeed and i'll tell you my favorite story of the week um i want to give a shout out to taylor swift i mean look this eras tour that she's in the middle of is just so spectacularly successful uh, i don't know if you saw that um it's so successful she just added 24 new sites, uh, new concerts uh, in North America after she finishes with her European tour. Um, but as you know, this week, uh, for, first of all, so far, uh, the tour has grossed $1.6 billion, <laughs> of course, because the tickets are so expensive. Uh, she herself apparently has uh, netted over $300 million. But this week, in a great gesture, uh, she made some gifts, uh, little tips, if you will, to the members of her crew, 50 truck drivers of her crew. Each got a check for $100,000, uh, and she also gave checks out to the dancers, musicians, the lighting technicians, the sound technicians, which I thought was just a great gesture, uh, indicating that she couldn't do and be as successful as she is without the great work that they do. Uh, she decided she was going to share the wealth, and I just hope that that message gets through to the heads of the big studios in Washington, uh, in Hollywood, rather, uh, and the writers and the SAG after out on strike, telling the studios that they should share a little bit of their wealth too with the people who make it happen. So good for Taylor Swift, a real feel-good story, I thought, uh, of the week. Uh, and with that. Again, a big thank you to our panelists, Philip Bump from the Washington Post, Emily Gooden, the Daily Mail, Sudeep Reddy, Politico. Thanks to, thank you again, Philip, Emily, and Sudeep. And thanks to all of you for joining us today for the roundtable. We invite you to come back uh, on Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We're going to be talking all things political, 2024, the White House, and the Senate and the House with Charlie Cook, 
the founder of the Cook Political Report, one of the smartest guys in politics, and not the smartest in the entire country. Charlie Cook, our guest next week. We'll see you Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.